Give me my team music. We are back. The point after episode 11, a lot going on. Week three, we thought it was going to be a disappointing week. Not a lot going on on the slate. We were wrong. A ton of drama, a ton of headlines, storylines, upsets to talk about. We are back better than ever and earlier than ever. Can we just get a clap for getting this episode up on Monday? Let's go. Earlier and earlier, we're getting better each week. Uh, Jackson Groff, once again, joined by the man, the QB guru, the black Kirk Herbstreet, the black Joel Klatt, the next up-and-coming sports analyst, college football analyst, Mr. Cody Oaks. Cody, how are you doing on this fine Sunday night coming out Monday morning? Man, you know, I can't complain. It was an absolute long, long weekend filled with football, <laughs> filled with success in football. Um, I'm just happy to have made it to Sunday evening. So mm. shout out to mm. everybody. Appreciate you guys bearing with us. Let's get into this week three. Hell yeah. Without further ado, Cody, we start out every single reaction episode with our AP poll dropped earlier today. And we're going to start out with the top 10. We're kind of going to analyze the top 10, see what we like, see what we don't like. Um, not a whole lot of changes here, Cody. The only switch aroo here from the top 10 is Texas now at three, Florida State at four. Florida State obviously survived a close game against Boston College on the road, one by two points. And then Texas, I mean, they won by 21 points, but Texas, again, into the fourth quarter, they were tied with Wyoming. So Texas moves up one, Florida State at four. Uh, your thoughts about that switcheroo? Hey, shout out to the Fighting Cowboys up there in uh, Laramie, Wyoming, man. They're good, but man. The Mountain one, West showed out. Texas Tech. Yeah. Man, week one, they beat Texas Tech. This week, they almost clipped the Texas Longhorns, you know. Watch out, man. Just because they're named Cowboys, maybe they start to own the state of Texas. You never know. So, shout out to the Fighting Craig Bulls up there in Laramie, Wyoming. Um, are you fine with Texas at three? You're fine with Texas at three? Florida State at four? I know that's our initial yeah, rankings. Yeah. I yeah. That, I, yeah, that was that was our top 25 or our top 10 that we put out um, mm. in our last episode. So, I'm very happy with it. I think Texas is, like we've talked about before, Texas's win at Alabama, <clears throat> biggest win of the year, best win of the year, close with Florida State's blowout of LSU, but just, I think, neutral site game compared to home home game is what it is. Mm-hmm. So then we move from 10 to 20. Oregon's at 10. They move up three spots. Utah moves up one. LSU moves up two. Alabama down three after a really close struggling game against South Florida, which was, I believe it's the first road non-conference game that Nick Saban's ever played in. We'll get into that later in the episode. 14, Oregon State, they move up two. Ole Miss moves up two. Oklahoma moves up three at 16. Uh, North Carolina at 17. Duke at 18. Colorado moves down one. And then Miami moves up two as well at 20. When you look through 10 through 20, obviously the biggest thing is Colorado moving down one and Alabama moving down three. Oregon moving up three, 
North Carolina moving up three, Oklahoma up three, and Duke up three. Which one of those kind of sticks out to you, Cody? I know that's a lot of numbers. I apologize for the listeners out there that are viewing it. It's kind of just the best way to describe this <laughs> poll right now. But a lot of chaos going through 10 through 20, a lot of movement. But what sticks out to you? No, to me, is Oregon moving up to be a top 10 team? I had their matchup with uh, number 19, Colorado. So I think that's mm. going to be big, um, not only for Colorado's image and perception as like a true contender. Can they keep it close? Can they beat? a top 10 opponent on the road um, in the Oregon Ducks, you know, I mean, Mm. coming off of obviously we'll get into the game that they had with Colorado state a little bit later in the show, but man, maybe possible look ahead opportunity to now we, as like we said, it's going to be a top top 20 matchup between Oregon and Colorado, which at the beginning Mm. of the year, no one predicted. So that's exciting. The biggest takeaway for me and a team that, again, not a lot of people are talking about right now, but they look damn good last weekend. I understand it wasn't really a great team in San Diego State, but Oregon State at 14 is really interesting. And the way they're playing right now, they keep climbing up, you know, the rankings and stuff like that. Don't be surprised if they got a big game against Wazoo. I love what I saw at DJU in the running game right now. They've got a lot of explosive players, but again, we'll talk about that later on. But how about the Oregon State Beavers up to 14, moving up two spots there? I mean, I, I think. I think they're very they're a team that's being slept on right now. It's like them, Georgia, and Michigan are the kind of the teams with that weak non-conference schedule. As we get into conference play, I hope they get more attention here coming up forward. Yeah, you know, I think Jonathan Smith, we talked about it in our preview episode for the year. Jonathan Smith has done such a good job recruiting out there in Corvallis. Mm. They have a great coaching staff there. Uh, shout out Kapense Henson, my offense coordinator from college. He's now uh, the wide receiver coach there at Oregon State. Leggy Suyanoa. Mm. He was our defense coordinator at Western Washington when I was there. He's now on the defensive staff now at Oregon State. They've done a really good job retaining kids, not only from the state of Oregon, but also they've dipped into California. Shout out Aiden Childs. Uh, mm. DJU is from California. Um, they've done a good job in the state of Washington. So um, also all the way up, they got a commitment from the top player in Alaska and three-star linebacker and tight end, uh, Aaron Hampton. So Things are trending up out there in Corvallis. Hopefully they're able to find a conference because they're actually accumulating quite a bit of talent out there yeah. um, with the Beaver. Yeah, and I don't think the worst thing can, worst case scenario for them, they go to the group of five school, they dominate the group of five, and they make the playoff every year. Kind of sell to their kids, hey, we're in a weaker conference, more likely chance to make the CFP every single year with that new 12-team format. And then we go to 22-25 as we conclude our AP poll reactions. Miami at 20, Wazoo at 21, UCLA at 22. Tennessee moves down 12 spots after losing to Florida. Iowa at 24, and then Florida. Welcome to the top 25, Florida. The 2-1 and one Gators are in the AP poll for the first time this season. And then other receiving votes being Clemson, Missouri, and Kansas State. When you look at that 20 through 25, we talked before. You didn't like Florida at 25. Why Why is that, Cody? Um, I just haven't seen enough to rank them, especially ahead of um, a, a Clemson. Um, I get they both lost in week one, but to me, um, I, I consider Clemson better. Like if they played right now, because that's where my mind goes when you kind of get into those lower rankings. Like if these two teams played right now, who do I think would win? Mm. Um, to me, Clemson would beat Florida by three touchdowns right now. And so I, th- wow. I don't think that they should be ranked ahead of a Clemson um, or even maybe like a Missouri. Like I think I think luckily we get to w- see Missouri play against Florida here at some point this season. So mm. that question will be answered. But 
Um, yeah, my perception right now of what Florida is as a football team is not the 25th ranked team in the country. Personally. What's interesting, too, is like we never refer the coaches poll, but on the coaches poll, they don't even have Florida. Um, they have them in the fifth ranked in receiving votes. They don't even have them in the top 25, which is interesting. And they've got Clemson at 23. Clemson's a team that's not even in the top 25, which is kind of interesting to see the coaches' perspective versus, you know, the media perspective when it comes to those respective schools. All right, Cody, let's get into our game breakdowns, our game reactions. And the first one we got to start out with, a game that we didn't mention as one of the top games in week three. But, man, this game might be the game of the year when it comes all down to it. The big rivalry between Colorado versus Colorado State. 18 Colorado comes out on top, double overtime, 43-35. to 35. A lot of adversity faced from Colorado. Travis Hunter, after that cheap shot, which he should have been ejected, which is absolute bullshit on my part. I'm so sorry. You cannot keep that player in the game. Watch the replay on it. He went right at his ribs. I pray that Travis Hunter gets better. He's out for a couple of weeks. Supposedly, we don't know the injury status behind it, but it's got to do something with his ribs. Absolutely unacceptable. But Colorado comes out on top. They win 43-35 to in a double OT game. Cody, what stood out to you about this game? Because people tomorrow are on Monday when people we record this are going to criticize Colorado for a close game against a team they should have won by 23-24 points. But in my opinion, Cody, my biggest takeaway, I love seeing Colorado facing the adversity. If you're going to criticize what Colorado did this weekend with all the pressure in the world with college game day, big noon kickoff, first take, Pat McAfee show, offset was there, the rock was there, all the cameras, 60 minutes, and all that kind of stuff like that, to come out on top and win this game after Travis Hunter being hurt in the second second quarter, being down 11 points in the fourth quarter, like, all this adversity and pressure, I don't think people realize the amount of pressure that these kids have, not only the kids, but Dion. with all that he said. Like, imagine they lose this game. Imagine they lose this game. Yes, they won this game, but they're going to get criticism from it, but they'd get so much more criticism. People would be gone from Colorado if they lost this game. But if you're going to criticize Colorado, criticize Florida State for barely beating Boston College. Criticize Georgia for barely beating South Carolina. Criticize Texas for barely beating Wyoming. Criticize Michigan for almost, lo- not losing, but basically at halftime it was a close game to Bowling Green. If you're going to criticize Colorado, criticize the other schools that were in close, the highest-ranked schools, the top-ranked schools that were supposed to beat these teams by 40 points. Criticize them first before you criticize Colorado. I'm sorry, Cody. I had to get in that rant real quick. But, Cody, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? No, that's fine. No, honestly, like, it's funny. I actually saw a post the other day, like yesterday, that said – um, yeah, you know, I bet you there's going to be a lot of people that jump off the Colorado bandwagon after this game. And I'm like, did you guys watch the game? Think about it like this. Colorado State scored a touchdown on, like, a double pass from a receiver to a, to a tight end. Mm-hmm. There was a fluky-ass, like, catch that, like, literally the DB dove and would have picked the ball off, but somehow the ball went through his hands right into the a Colorado State receivers hands Mm. who just happened to run for a touchdown like don't get me wrong did Colorado State play above their head absolutely they did but at the same time if you watch the game at no point was Colorado ever out of the game and I think once Shador Sanders got the ball two minutes left I know it was on his own two-yard line but he was starting to get into a rhythm you could just see that there was something different that was about to start happening Mm. and then you look up and he's the third leading passer in the country for the week. And it's just like, 
there you go. Like he's done exactly what he was supposed to do over and over and over again. Um, like you said, the fact that they were able to face game pressure in this game mm. screams to me, look ahead to what I was saying earlier. Yeah. It's going to be a top 20 matchup between Colorado and Oregon. Oregon being a top 10 team, blowing people out of the water. Oregon also, we just talked about it, Texas Tech. When they played Texas Tech, they struggled. They were down double digits, just like Colorado. They were able to come back and make it, make a game of it and win late. Very similar. Like, they won by eight, literally, the mm. exact same point difference. So if you look at it, very similar types of, oh, team super hyped up, other team not so hyped up. Nope. Like, And you got to remember, when a team has nothing to lose, they are a dangerous football team. There you Coach go. Prime's team is going to have pressure on them for the rest of the year, whether they win or when they lose, because mm. Coach Prime has kind of set the precedent. We're going to win now. And if they don't do it, it's going to reflect directly on every single one of those kids in the program. They're 18 to 22 years old, folks. They're not grown-ass men who have been through the trials and tribulations of a lot of things. No disrespect to them. But at the end of the day, when you have 18 to 22-year-olds reading press clippings, getting attention, getting NIL deals, getting commercials, getting interviews, that starts to creep into their psyche that they're supposed to win, that they're supposed to just roll over teams. Ultimately, mm. I think that this game is going to benefit Colorado moving forward. Coach Prime is going to be able to use it as a marker to remind those guys we got to bring it every single game. And I think that Colorado is going to be fine moving forward. And it being a night game too, like I've, I've experienced it, waiting around all day long can be draining. And for these players that are watching, obviously they're going to watch college game day in the morning. Obviously they're going to watch Big Noon kickoff and their coach talking about, you know, the sunglasses thing, all the hype and stuff like that because Deion Sanders is on both too. I want to throw it back to you, Cody, because you're the quarterback guru here. Shador Sanders, 98 yards in a minute 30 without his top wide receiver, Travis Hunter. How impressive was that? Not only to get the touchdown they needed, 98 yards on the vertical. The vertical route to Jim, Jimmy Horn I thought was played perfectly. I think they were in a cover – were they in a cover three or was it a cover two? I forget, honestly. Um, but the safety rolled over with his eyes, hits Jimmy Horn. He catches the ball real quick, juke move. Which the fact that he caught it and made a juke move, one guy miss and keeps going, not having to use a timeout, um, was impressive. Dion met with Jimmy Horn and said, hey, you have to step up. Like, he met, he, they, they showed it on the broadcast, too. Like, they had a whole-on conversation, one-on-one. You got to step up. And what I love about Dion is he talks to the players that need the most attention. The players, he talked to him. He talked to Love at the corner position. Both those players replacing Travis Hunter, he had a one-on-one conversations with. But I want to go back to you. What impressed you most, not only about Shador Sanders' performance, but about that last minute 30 drive and to get the two-point conversion? on top of that, to tie the game. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand how difficult it is when there's pressure on you, when you're down, because not only did they have to score, they had to go for two. It's not mm. like it's not like when you score that touchdown, you're like, oh, they're going to kick the PAT and they're good. No, no, no. Not only do you have to score, but you have to be sharp in a short area of the field. You guys got to remember, two-point conversions are from the three-yard line. So if you're going to throw mm. it, Space is confined down there, and that's a lot of bodies within about 15 and, to 20 And what's, yards the, per, the, what's the percentage you would say, like, they're going to throw it on in a two-point conversion? Like, what percentage? It's obviously going to be high percentage on a three-yard line. They're not going to run it unless it's maybe a zone read. 
Absolutely, especially especially when your offensive line has kind of been dominated in the run game all game mm. like Colorado's had. So ultimately, I think the biggest takeaway for me and the biggest thing that stood out for me on that drive was Shadur's poise. You knew it, He knew exactly where he needed to go with the football. He knew that because he had a timeout and because the clock was going to stop under two minutes for first downs, he could use the middle of the field. Uh, the last play that they actually ran, there was actually a vertical by the tight end that kind of held that safety on the hash. Um, and Shador was able to kind of keep his eyes on that tight end that kind of held that safety inside, and he was able to throw that whole shot to Jimmy Horn ultimately for the tying touchdown. And then on the Colorado State side, I think the one of the, one of the things that impressed me most about him was their wide receiver core. I mean, between uh, Horton, Brown, and uh, Holker, those three combined for a hundred and a hundred sorry three hundred and seventy yards between those three receivers. I thought that was impressive, but I mean, Jay Norville, I don't know if it was your plan to come in with a dirty mindset. 17 penalties is not going to win you the ball game. That penalty, the targeting penalty with Kamara at the end was huge. But, I mean, the fact that safety number 11 didn't get called, didn't get uh, ejected from that ball game, shame on you. Shame on you for targeting Travis Hunter like that. I mean, come on. At the end of the day, it's a rivalry. At the end of the day, yes, you want to beat the other team. But, have respect for him to not even just go out of your way like that and just hit him in the ribs. Um, super unacceptable for them. But at the end of the day, you got to give kudos to Colorado State. They played a good game. I mean, not a lot of people thought this was going to be a close game, but what kind of impressed you about Colorado State? And also, fourth and two, I, I would have went for it if I was Jay Norvell. Your thoughts on that and then your thoughts on Colorado State there. That led to that 98-yard drive. It's tough being at the 50-yard line like yeah, that, know. but, I mean, I don't know. I think I think for me, he looked at it like my defense is playing well. Colorado mm. hasn't really shown um, the ability to drive the, the full length of the field. And I think he just trusted his defense. He wanted to let his defense know, like, look, I trust you. Um, I'm not going to put you in a bad situation. In fact, he probably put them in the best situation possible. Um, mm. Shout out to their punter, getting them down inside the two-yard line. Um, in those situations, being able to trust your defense and thinking that they're going to be able to get a stop when they have 98 yards of field to be able to defend, you think mm. they should be able to get the job done. Ultimately, I think he did exactly what I would do um, because if you give Shador Sanders and Colorado the momentum of getting the ball around midfield, like there's just yeah, there's just something about that. Like if they don't get it, there's something about momentum and a rhythm that just would change. We know how it goes. We've both played the game. Um, we've mm. seen it countless times again. Um, I think ultimately at the end of the day, uh, they just got beat by a better football team. But shout out to that receiving core, that tight end transfer from BYU. He mm. balled out. I want to say he had three touchdowns, two touchdowns or three touchdowns. Um, and yeah, they showed up and showed out. Like I said, I think they played above their head. I think they're extremely motivated. Um, I think that uh, Colorado is probably going to get everyone's best shot moving forward just because they're the talk of not only college sports, but really sports in general right now. Um, so shout out to Coach Dion and having those guys able and confident enough to be able to when the chips were down they needed and they needed to have it, they got the job done. So no Travis Hunter next week. Obviously, you know, a big blow as you go into Oregon at Oregon, then you go in against USC. Um, Cody, in your opinion, what does Colorado need to get better at quickly in order to contend against Colorado? Right now, I'm looking at the lines right now, Col not Colorado, excuse me. Oregon's favored by 14 and a half points. So what can Colorado do to kind of either shock the world and beat them or maybe make it a closer game than what people expect? 
I think they need to throw intricate coverages at Bo Nix. What I noticed mm. a lot, Colorado State was running crossing routes against man coverage, and they were killing that Colorado, Colorado man coverage. Ultimately, mm. when you have a guy like Travis Hunter, he can run with guys, and he can make sure that those crossing routes are eliminated. One of the ways that you do that, make sure that you have zone coverage, whether it's cover three, cover two, cover six, yes. whatever it might be, we have to make sure that we're in zone coverage to beat those crossing routes. Oregon has the athletes that if you miss on a tackle in man coverage, it's a touchdown every single time. We saw it against Colorado State. Oregon is a better team than Colorado State. I think we can all agree on that. They have better athletes. They're better coached. And I think that, like I said, Colorado, if you want to be able to contend in this game against Oregon, you cannot play exclusively man coverage, especially in long yarded situations. For me, when it comes to it, that's a great point. Obviously, um, you know, the coverages and stuff like that, not a lot of man uh, coverage from in Colorado will go more in zone. I love what you said there. For me, I think offensively, they need to establish a running game more. Um, you're not going to beat these teams, especially teams like Oregon and the USC, uh, if you cannot establish a running game. I mean, they had 70 yards rushing. Uh, Wilkerson and H Hankerson, they're, they're two, you know, downfield bully-type running backs had 10 yards combined. And then Dylan Edwards had 57, which he's more of that outside, you know, that balance, the counter uh, type of back. But I want to see more production from those two, Wilkerson and Hankerson, because I think the downhill running obviously will open up. They've got the weapons on the outside. They've got Weaver. They've got Dawson. They've got Floyd on the outside. But I think if you cannot establish a running game like this, it's going to be even tougher in that second half, especially with Colorado. They start so slow in the first half. Um, I think they got to establish that run there early. Before we move on, I got to give a big shout-out to Shiloh Sanders. I was really impressed with him, what we saw over the weekend, that pick six. Uh, the man coverage inside the slot right there. I know Shador Sanders gets all the credit between the Sanders, but, I mean, Shiloh Sanders, hell of a ball player. I think this guy's, you know, if he goes to the draft this year, he's a senior right now. He'll probably be like a third, fourth-round, mid-round pick, but a guy that definitely can make the roster and make an impact at the safety position. Yeah, you know, and uh, you didn't mention it, but he also forced a fumble that was actually mm. a big stop for Colorado early. I want to say it was late in the first half or early in the second half that was actually a big momentum swing. In fact, actually, Colorado's defense, when they started kind of doing some, like, underneath coverages where mm. they were kind of high-lowing these receivers, they started to get their hands on the football, and it really kind of started to kind of keep them in the football game because if you think about it, Colorado State was leading and was threatening to kind of stretch the lead a few times, and that defense was able to come up with a couple timely turnovers and stops. So uh, mm. that was actually really impressive to see. The biggest upset of the weekend, one that we did not see coming for us too. And uh, I think we had a comment on our Tennessee, Florida post about someone saying, you know, this aged well. Uh, did not see this coming. Did not see this coming at all. Florida coming out the way they came out. Uh, Florida beating 11 Tennessee, 29 to 16. Uh, I mean, what stood out to you first about this upset being at Florida? Uh, they looked they look good. They looked pretty damn good. And uh, Joe Milton kind of struggled there throughout the game. Yeah, I mean, oh, hey, Graham Mertz. There you are. Jeez, did not <laughs> the old grammars, yeah. From you. Um, yeah, like, wow. I mean, that was as impressive a performance when your coach had to have it. Not mm. even you, Graham Mertz. I didn't even think that you were that great coming from Wisconsin. I think you picked the wrong place to go to in Florida. But you made me a believer this last weekend, and I think you saved your coach's job. So hopefully Coach Napier took you out to eat and – Got you a steak dinner this weekend mm -hmm. or something, or an extra NIL deal or something like that. Bye. But uh, shout out to the fighting Cliff Taylor, the fourth. 
Uh, the Florida Gators, you guys hopped into the rankings this week at 25. After a big win over Tennessee, you are more physical. You are more active. Um, and you guys definitely made Joe Milton look human. So that was impressive to watch. Yeah, and it kind of shocked me about Joe Milton. You know, big stage, a lot of pressure. That first drive looked easy, right? So first first drive, six plays, 71 yards, two minutes. I was like, whoa, Joe Milton. Hello, Joe Milton. Boom. Hello, Scroll White. Since then, their last I believe their last three or four drives, they only had two first downs, which was kind of nuts to me. Um, but the, offensively, I think Joe Milton was just kind of sporadic, um, trying to do too much there. Uh, the interception he had was awful. I mean, he was about to get sacked, threw it up in the air, easy pick for Florida. I thought that was something that, that stood out to me. And then defensively, uh, you could tell they had a linebacker. I don't know his name, but he was a transfer from BYU. Kind of, you know, the set the set stone, the foundation of their defense. He was out, and you could tell those two linebackers were not on the same page. Miscommunication with, the, with either the crowd noise or the atmosphere or whatever. Um, you got to give credit to Florida. Um, they took advantage of it offensively. A lot of motions, a lot of shifts that kind of confuse that Tennessee defense. And again, you talk about running backs. This this running back duo has got to be up there in the top three, top five with ETN and with Johnson Jr. I mean, ETN. I mean, Trevor ETN. Obviously, you recognize the name, uh, Travis ETN's brother. Twenty three carries, one hundred seventy two is a one touchdown. Uh, that's what stood out to me when it comes to Florida side. Uh, what kind of stood out to you from both sides? I mean, either quarterback Joe Milton. Uh, what what Florida did offensively, defensively, what well, what else kind of stood out to you? Yeah, to me, I think ultimately being able to run the football as effectively as Florida did opened up some play-action pass opportunities for Graham Mertz in the passing game. And then mm. also on the flip side, for Tennessee, we set, I said it in the preview episode and in the episode before this weekend. I said, can Joe Milton, intermediate and short passing game, are you going to be able to hit those hitches, slants, digs, outs, that you're going to need to hit that will open up those deeper shots that you like to take. We said it with Jalen Milrow as well from Alabama. Are you able to play in the intermediate and short passing game well enough to open up what you're best at, which is the deep shots that they like to take? Mm. Unfortunately, they weren't able to do that. Like you said, a couple lollipop picks from Joe Milton. Um, and ultimately, I think I spelled some doom for Tennessee. Yeah, and you got to give credit to Billy Napier. I mean, it was a it was a must-win game for not only Florida, but for his coaching career. To be one and two, you know, lose a game like that against a ranked team at home. Like, you got to give credit where credit is due for Florida. Um, one more standout for me. Um, I was confused. I don't know if you saw this in the third quarter. About 4.30 left. Uh, it was fourth and one. Tennessee kind of, you know, down two scores. They score here. It makes it a one-possession game. The refs kind of stopped the game, and it was in a situation where Kirk Herbstreit and Chris, Chris Fowler talked about it. They thought it was a substitution thing. They stopped the game and let Florida substitute. Long story short, um, Tennessee was confused, didn't get the fourth and one called there. Um, I don't know if you saw it, Cody. I don't know if it was something maybe we want to talk about or elaborate on, but I thought the refs were kind of not on the favor side of Tennessee. There was another blindside block that was a terrible call, too, but that substance, you know, it's a weird call when even Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler, the two gods, the two founding fathers of college football right now, don't know what the hell is going on right now. I thought that was a pivotal point in the game where Tennessee had the momentum and could have even met it, even could have made it a one possession game. Yeah, you know, Tennessee's Tennessee's bread and butter is being able to go fast and have play with rhythm. So anytime mm. a referee steps in, keeps them from snapping the ball, keeps them from moving at the pace that they want to move, it throws their game off. So I think that, yeah, it was definitely a pivotal moment in the game. And I think ultimately probably led to them being able, ultimately losing the football game because I think they had Florida a little bit on their heels. 
I definitely think that if they convert that fourth and one, they go down, they finish the drive, they score, like you said, makes it a one-score game, mm-hmm. and ultimately leads them to being able to have the momentum and to keep rolling. So can Tennessee recover from this? I mean, obviously a tough loss here. They've got Georgia later on at home, but um, what's your kind of evaluation of this Tennessee team? And a tough loss, I mean, an upset against Florida. Yeah, you know, I think the fact that they're in the SEC East actually helps Tennessee. I think the SEC is a little bit down this year. So I think, you know, being able to run into teams like a Vanderbilt or a Missouri, no disrespect to those teams, but ultimately those aren't going to be as good a team as they have been in the past. So I think South Carolina also being in the SEC East also will help Tennessee kind of get right, let Joe Milton kind of get more comfortable, like I said, in that intermediate and short passing game to allow Squirrel White and those other receivers to get downfield, Brew McCoy being one. Um, So I think at the end of the day, I think Tennessee is actually in a prime position. Think about it. Your only loss right now is a road loss at a rival who's currently ranked. True. There's like, that's not a bad spot to be at. So Mm. everything still, Tennessee still everything to play for. Ultimately, we know that Florida is going to lose some more SEC games. So you're not going to have to worry about having to leapfrog them at the end of the year uh, to get into the SEC championship. If you handle business the rest of the way, Tennessee, you're right where you want to be. Staying in the SEC, the third game that we're going to break down that stood out to us. Uh, how about 14 LSU going into Mississippi State, right? Hostile environment of Starkville. The cowbells were ringing. Loud environment, a little slow start from LSU, a bunch of false starts in that first series. But they didn't look. They did not look back. 41 to 14, highlighted by what we said on the last episode. This was going to be a game where we thought that Jaden Daniels was going to bounce back. Uh, and I have a feeling that maybe he could crack the list for Cody's top five quarterbacks. Who knows? But being 30 for 34, 361 yards, two touchdowns passing, 64 yards on the ground with two other touchdowns as well. I mean, just wow. Impressive bounce back game for not only LSU, but for Jaden Daniels to boost his confidence back up. And now you look at LSU, a team that's back on the rise, a, a team that people are going to talk about a must win. Big win on the road at SEC, in the SEC. What stood out to you? Mississippi State losing to LSU in a big game. No, I think it was a great get-right game for not only Jane Daniels, but also shout-out to Kayshawn Boutte, the receiver. Uh, started the year out as an All-American. Oh, you mean uh, um, Malik Neighbors? Do you mean Malik Neighbors? Malik Neighbors, sorry. My yeah, 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 yeah. Boutte's, yeah, Boutte's in the league. Yeah, Boutte's in the league. You're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boutte's gone. Sorry. Brain fart there. Uh, yeah, shout-out Malik Neighbors. You started out the year. People talked about you as an All-American candidate. Um, and you kind of started the year slow. Florida State had some intricate coverages, um, kind of locked you up a little bit early, um, but you really broke out. I want to say 13 catches, 268 yards, um, and a touchdown. Which Two, two touchdowns, game, 239 um, yards. All, Crazy. Crazy. There you go. There you go. Um, 239 yards, two touchdowns in a rivalry game in the SEC. That's big. So um, Jaden Daniels, like we already said, 361 yards. Super high completion percentage. I think that's 88%. Um, 30 for 34. Uh, 361 yards, two TDs, two rushing touchdowns. I said it at the beginning of the prediction episodes that he might threaten that 3,000, 1,000. And games like this is going to help him get there. So um, he did a really good job using the legs to extend plays, not only to get and to make sure that LSU was in the right. Not Even if they were in the wrong protection, it allowed him to kind of make sure get them right. So uh, shout out to Jaden Daniels. Um, and also shout out to Malik Neighbors, um, and also that LSU defense. You know, anytime you go and play a Mississippi State team, no matter what type of offense they're in, they're known for being able to throw the football, get big plays down the field. Holding them to 14 points on the road is big for their confidence moving forward. So shout out to mm. LSU. Definitely a big get right game. 
um, to right the ship after getting punched in the mouth by Florida State in week one. Yeah, and, and sometimes when you know we make mistakes, and sometimes people don't own up to their mistakes, right? I think Brian Kelly owned up to his mistake about Harold Perkins. Said, hey, middle linebacker, probably not the best position. Let's put him back at edge rusher. This guy had four tackles, two tackles for losses, and one sack. And you could tell with Will Rogers, he was more focused on Harold Perkins than the receivers downfield. Anytime he sensed his presence, he felt uncomfortable. Love that Perkins was back on the edge where he belongs. Wearing number four is still kind of weird to me, kind of adjusting to him wearing number four. But Harold Perkins, welcome back to be an edge rusher in a dynamic position. He's such a good athlete, man. That's where he belongs as the edge rusher. Anytime anytime Harold Perkins is able to affect a game from the edge, that's when LSU is at their best because it Mm. allows those athletes in the secondary to hunt interceptions, to be able to sit on short routes because the ball has to be out quicker. And ultimately, it makes the quarterback uncomfortable because you're having to account for him on every single play. So shout out to Brian Kelly and that coaching staff that did a great job inserting him where he belonged, which, like you said, was on the edge. And ultimately, Mm. I think it led to uh, them being able to bottle up Will Rogers in that Mississippi State offense. Well, let's move on uh, to our next segment, Cody. Uh, we're going to talk about the top four teams in college football. And people are probably wondering, you know, either that didn't watch this weekend or maybe that are kind of puzzled on what happened this weekend. Um, the four top the top four teams in the nation kind of struggled. You know, had a tough first half. They ended up winning, securing their wins. But, um, you know, Georgia, close one against South Carolina, 24-14. to 14. And Then you got the second-ranked team, Michigan. Slow start. They went 31 to 6 against Bowling Green. You've got Florida State now at four, but at three, they were 31 29 over Boston College. And you got Texas tied through three quarters against a good Wyoming team. They went 31 to 10. So I'm going to ask you, Cody, out of those four, which one, which team are you most concerned about after a tight win from this last weekend? I'm going to go with Florida State. I think Ooh. Florida State. The ACC is going to be tough for them. Duke, North Carolina, Clemson. Mm. I'll even throw a Virginia in there. Or Like, at the end of the day, like, Virginia can, can throw the football with some of the best teams in the country. And I, obviously, we already know what Riley Leonard can do from Duke, what they did to Clemson in week one. Clemson, mm. probably the most talented team in the league. And then also, I'll even throw Syracuse in there. Anybody saw what Garrett Schrader did this last weekend? Get to him later, hint, hint, hint. But uh, hey, the, the ACC, the ACC is going to be tougher than people think this year. Florida State, make sure you guys get your P's and Q's squared away, man. Boston College is not good, and you guys beat them by two points. Mm. Time to wake up, Florida State. For me, the one that concerned me the most that I'm concerned by, I'm going to be Texas. Three Texas. That kind of showed me. That okay, wow, we're we're the best team in the league. We're best team in the nation because we beat Alabama. Like we're kind of looking ahead once again. That's that spark where people say, "Oh, Texas is back," and then they lose against a big team. That was a little bit of of a teaser. <clears throat> Oklahoma's or <clears throat> TCU's or Texas Tech, the team that they play later on, that's way better than Wyoming. Texas Tech lost to Wyoming. However, okay, yes, yes, I mentioned Oklahoma. All right, we'll get into that later on, but um. Yeah, I mean, Texas, you got to keep your head straight, man. Quinn Ewers, uh, Xavier Worthy played well in the fourth quarter. They scored 21 points there, but that's a little concerning. That's a little, you know, I kind of circled them um, as a team that I want to keep a close eye on as these, you know, these further conference games can move on. Which one of those four does not concern you that you were kind of impressed 
with how they performed in the second half and maybe kind of a wake-up call for them? Uh, I'd have to go with Michigan. Like, I think, I think Michigan is on an absolute mission this year. I have mm. them as my national champion. So I think that they're going to be just fine. I think that I think ultimately they're having some of the uh, the same issues as Georgia. I think Georgia's mm-hmm. kind of getting tired of being great, and I think that Michigan's in the same boat of just like yeah, like yeah, we know. Like can we can we get to play Penn State, Ohio State already, please? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and <laughs> can we get to the playoff? Like that's really that's really what it feels like is that Michigan's kind of like look, man, if we keep winning and doing what we're supposed to do, like we don't really care. Can we just get to the the hard games, which they're coming, they're coming. Penn State, Ohio State, shoot, Minnesota. Mm. I mean, ultimately, we don't know, but like, there's some tough ones out there for Michigan coming. But right now, I think they're just kind of sleepwalking through their schedule a little bit because it's as we've already discussed in previous episodes. Michigan had a baby soft <laughs> preseason schedule. Uh, this works out really perfectly, Cody, because I, I I think Georgia had the most impressive comeback win. Obviously, it was a tough game against South Carolina, a closer game than what people expected, but it's a lot of pressure being Carson Beck. You're the two-time national champ back-to-back. You got big shoes to fill on Stetson Bennett, right? You're down 14-3 at halftime. You expect to get the ball back in the second half and make a statement. I mean, they go 75 yards. Uh, six plays, two minutes and 40 seconds. He had 270 yards passing in the game. I was impressed by him. Um, I was impressed by this Georgia team. They've got a lot of depth in the running back room. It seems like every single every single game, it's a new walk-on guy that comes on. Cash Jones played well. Uh, they had a lot of good running backs. But for a team like Georgia to bounce back like that, to make a statement out of halftime, be down four against 14-10, and then to stop Spencer Rattler, who was night and day, looked amazing in the first half. Looked super uncomfortable in the second half, and part of that dude was the offensive line that got outperformed, absolutely bullied by that defensive line for Georgia. Um, I was impressed by it. It was a wake-up call for them and maybe one that they needed moving forward. My worry about Georgia, though, Lad McConkey needs to get healthy quick because I think when teams start to figure out Brock Bowers, who's he going to throw the football to? That's my only concern with Georgia. They have no wide receivers on the outside. That's my only concern about Georgia. But, again, the running game, they're known for the running game and the defense. That's all they're known for. They're not a quarterback-centric team. However, when you get a team that can bracket Brock Bowers, who will be that guy to step up when he's kind of double-team, triple-team, and can't really make an impact in the game? But I'm going to throw it back to you. What impressed you, I guess, about Georgia and just kind of your thoughts about what I said about Georgia? Yeah, you know, I think that uh, we said at the beginning of the year that we thought South Carolina was going to – well, actually, I – I, like you agreed with me, but I, we mm-hmm. said that South Carolina was probably going to be a little bit better than they were last year. I said eight or nine wins. Um, ultimately, they've taken a couple on the chin, um, but I think tough that schedule. this team is better than their record shows. I mean, absolutely a tough schedule. I mean, you play North Carolina to start the year off, um, which can be hard. And I mean, ultimately, I think North Carolina is better than people expected. Um, they did a lot better. Like at least for me, they're a lot better than expected. Um, and I think that uh, ultimately, I think Spencer Rattler is going to put up some numbers this year. Um, I think that that defense is going to continue to improve. I think that what they were able to do through two and a half quarters against Georgia was ex- extremely impressive. Um, ultimately, I think Georgia's talent won out. And I think that they Kirby Smart and those coaches made a lot of good halftime adjustments. And uh, ultimately, Georgia's talent won out. They were just a better football team. And just man for man, as they went down the line, 
later and later into that game. Georgia's used to winning and used to playing in those close games. South Carolina is not. And I think it mm-hmm. showed as the game started to get tighter and tighter, that game pressure started to lift. And Georgia started to ride that wave of momentum, especially being at home, that home crowd, which is used to winning as well. They started to see their team doing better. They started to rise. Their energy went up and ultimately led them to a, a big win. Um, 17-3 against South Florida. First non-conference road game for Nick Saban. Um, is it time to panic for Alabama? And what the hell are they going to do at the quarterback position? I said it in our prediction episode. I keep referencing the prediction episode because I want everybody to understand. We really do this. Yeah. We do. I told you guys. Alabama is going to lose three football games. If anybody from Alabama's program is confident after what you guys just put on the field against a very bad South Florida football team, bad, you're lying to yourself. You are lying to yourself. South Florida will win three games this year. And one of them was about to be you guys. Alabama, what are we doing? What are we doing? It's time to press the panic button in Tuscaloosa. It's time to t- touch. It's hey, title town's not title town anymore. What are we doing? What are we doing over there, Bama? Like, can we figure out our quarterback situation? Tyler Buckner, yeah. are you the guy? Ty Simpson, are you the guy? I mean, I know they put Ty Simpson in and he let a couple touchdown drives, but we can all be honest. It was literally ten to three, and Alabama scored with like forty-five seconds left to make it seventeen to three. So realistically, that football game was 10 to 3 against South Florida. Alabama, you were supposed to take it on the chin against Texas, and you were supposed to turn around and put 55 on the board in three quarters against this South Florida team, and you guys put up three. That's embarrassing. Alabama, what is going on out there in Tuscaloosa? I mean, when was the last time, you know, the quarterbacks threw for 107 yards? That, that's absolutely insane. And 10 completions. I mean, come on, Alabama. You know, it, it sucks for me. I have Alabama in my top four. Had them going to the SEC championship. I do not feel good about that prediction right now. And when we get to the midseason, I mean, I did not feel good about it. That team looked awful. And people could say, oh, you know, like Tyler Buckner's first start, having to go through the weather, the weather delay, uh, the rain, blah, blah, blah. Well, the other quarterback had to do the same thing. Other quarterback got to go through the same thing. Like, don't don't make it all him. Um, I think this game actually solidified that Jalen Melrose the guy. I think he's the guy. He's explosive with his legs, and when things go wrong, he can run. That's that's the good thing about him. But, again, we'll see if Jalen Milrow can use this. And shout-out to Jalen Milrow, the video of him and Ty Simpson, him celebrating the Ty Simpson after that touchdown pass that he threw. I mean, it, it's great works by him. Not the touchdown pass, sorry. He ran for a touchdown, Ty Simpson did. But, um, I, I mean, yeah, it's time to panic. Hopefully they can turn around. But, hey, they got Ole Miss next week. Ole Miss a team that I know Lane Kiffin's hungry to beat Nick Saban. And that's going to be a good-ass game. I believe it's home against Ole Miss, which will be interesting, on CBS. Yep. And uh, who did I say were the two teams that were also going to beat Alabama this year? I said, uh, you said Ole Miss. You said Ole Miss. And LSU. And LSU. <laughs> we're on track, baby. We're on track. <laughs> Ole Miss, I need you to do your job. Need to do the job to make Cody look good and to make Jackson look absolutely terrible with Alabama in the top four. All right, let's get into our other uh, week three takeaways here, Cody. Great episode so far. Um, A takeaway for me, and I thought the best-looking team all weekend, 
And with a big matchup next week against Notre Dame, I think things are starting to click for Ohio State. I'm going to give Ohio State credit. I think Kyle McCord is starting to look better, uh, starting to get that connection well with Marvin Harrison Jr. and feeding him the ball and Emeka Buka as well. But i got to give credit where credit is due. Ohio State dominating a Western Kentucky team that likes to throw the football. I get it's Western Kentucky, but they're clicking at the right time against Notre Dame. It'll be a good game. I think my biggest takeaway is Ohio State was kind of the best team. They looked offensively and defensively this weekend. Oh, I'm going to go. I think Washington looked like the best team this weekend. You go on the road at Michigan State. Granted, Michigan State going through a lot of turmoil right now, but Washington was up 41 to nothing in this game, guys. 41 nothing on the road, two time zones to the east where mm. UW traditionally doesn't play well. Michael Penix left no doubt early in that football game and often with those receivers, three 100-yard receivers, Jalen Polk, Roma Dunze, um, and Jalen McMillan, absolute dominance out there in Big Ten country announcing themselves to the Big Ten Conference, letting them know what it's going to be like over the course of the next 10 to 15 years in the Mm. Big Ten. Yeah, that that team is scary. And I think people need to start watching out for Michael Penix, not only as a Heisman candidate, but as a guy that could be in the top 10, uh, you know, top five, not top five, but, you know, he's, he's such a good quarterback, man. And I think the fact that he's been in college for so long, he's just getting better and better. And I love that he stayed another year too. But again, that Washington team is dangerous. Panics is dangerous. You're absolutely right on that. Uh, my next takeaway, how about Mizzou? How about Mizzou in the 61-yard field goal to beat 15 Kansas State and absolutely plummet the K-State Wildcats, who were the second-ranked team in the Big 12 preseason? I was shocked. I looked at the, the, you know, the stat sheet and the box score before I watched some of the highlights. I watched the end of the game of Mizzou, Kansas State. You look at the box score, and it's like, how did Kansas State lose this game? I mean, they won the turnover battle. They won the they won the penalties. They had the most possession time. How did they lose this game? When it comes down to it, maybe quarterback play? Maybe their efficiency on offense? I don't know, but got to give credit to Mizzou. Yeah, you know, Missouri did a great job. They were playing with house money. They are not. They were the underdog. Kansas State's the ranked team coming into your house. We just mm. said it. When teams have nothing to lose and everything to gain by beating you, they're a very dangerous team. Missouri rode that wave of momentum, the home crowd's energy, um, and obviously the leg of a kicker that hit a 61-yarder with room to spare, too. That's the thing. That would have been good from, like, 65 yards. So, shout-out to the kicker. Um, Normally, you're the scapegoat, but today you were the hero. Mm. Missouri, that was fun to watch. Another takeaway for you, Mr. Cody Oaks, from week three. Takeaway for me, um, Oklahoma – you're looking scary. 66 points against Tulsa. Tulsa normally gets up for these in-state rivalry games, guys. And like anybody who knows Oklahoma, it's Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and then Tulsa. Okay? Mm. Tulsa's always been the little brother. They're always in like either like Conference USA, the AAC, um, and things like that. The Sun Belt, those like smaller conferences. So when they have the opportunity to have Oklahoma come to their place, It's usually like the biggest thing that's ever happened on their campus. And Oklahoma made it clear early and often. Shout out Dylan Gabriel, 421 yards, five touchdowns. More on him later in the show. Mm. But Oklahoma made a very clear statement that they are not to be trifled with in the state. Um, 
So shout out to the Oklahoma Sooners. You guys are looking more and more like you've done a lot of improvements, not only offensively, but on the defensive side as well um, under Coach Venables in year two. I don't want to mention it yet because obviously I know the stat sheet. Dylan Gabriel looked good. I still got to see a little prove-it game, Cody, from him until I can buy onto the Gabriel train. But I'm impressed. I'm impressed with what I've seen from Dylan Gabriel. Stock is rising, but I'm not I'm not there yet to fully buy into Gil- Dylan Gabriel. But Appreciate it. Speaking, Appreciate speaking it. of quarterbacks, it's everyone's favorite time of the show. Cody's top five quarterbacks for week three. Cody will rank these quarterbacks based on the performances from week three. Uh, we had a great list last week. Excited for another great list. Cody, without further ado, what is your honorable mention for week three? My honorable mention quarterback from week three. Again, we do our research, folks. Hayden Salter from Liberty, 16 of 26, 344 yards, five passing touchdowns, zero interceptions, big win for Liberty over the weekend. Shout out to Caden Salter. You are honorable mention quarterback in week three. Liberty getting some love. I love to see it. Number five. Now, some people might argue because of his rushing stats, he might be, he probably should have been higher. But remember, a quarterback list is usually based on throwing the football. But when you have a rushing performance like this guy had, it's got to be included. At number five, we have Garrett Schrader from Syracuse. 14 of 28 for 184 yards. No touchdowns. But, but 25 rushes, 195 yards, four touchdowns in Syracuse's win over Purdue this weekend. Shout out Garrett Schrader from Syracuse. You are our number five quarterback in week three. And the cleanest run fakes I have seen all season. His, his run fakes, unreal against Absolutely. Purdue. Unreal. Number four for you, sir. Absolutely. Number four, you mentioned him, actually, when we were talking about the recap of the LSU-Mississippi State game. Jaden Daniels from LSU, 30-34, 361 yards, two touchdowns, 64 yards on the ground, two more rushing touchdowns, no turnovers, and a big 41-14 win over Mississippi State. Jaden Daniels, you've kind of placed yourself back into that possible Heisman conversation after that big win on the road at an SEC opponent. Jaden Daniels, you are our number four quarterback for week three. Number three. At number three. A little bit of a slip from where he's been recently, but ultimately when the chips were down and he had to have it, the man showed up and showed out. I mean, I think he said it in his post in his post-game interview. It was uh, Brady time when he got the ball back, 98 yards to go, a minute 45 on the clock. Shadur Sanders from Colorado, 38 for 47, 348 yards, four touchdowns. He did throw his first interception, which technically was a drop by Jimmy Horn Jr., but... Mm. Shador Sanders, when your team needed it the most, you showed up, you showed out. Great performance in that second half against a very good, a very game Colorado State football team. Shador Sanders, you're our number three quarterback for week three. Number two. At number two, this makes my heart sing. Of course, anytime some of my Sooners get some love, I love to throw them up there. Dylan Gabriel, 28 of 31, 421 yards, five touchdowns. He did throw a pick, but Oklahoma got their big in-state rivalry win, 66-17, to over a very decent Tulsa football team that can be sneaky good, especially in those local rivalries. Shout-out to Dylan Gabriel. You are number two quarterback for Week 3. And at number one. I said it at the beginning of the year. 
I think that he might win the Heisman Trophy. 27 to 35, 473 yards, four touchdowns. You go on the road to a Big Ten opponent. You beat them 41 to 7. Send a message. I thought it was going to be a closer game than this. You guys took that out right away. Michael Penix from the University of Washington. He leads the country in passing. He just passed uh, Shador Sanders for that stat this last week. Um, shout out Michael Penix. You are our number one quarterback for week three. I love it. I, I think with Washington, too, and the fact that there's eight Pac-12 schools that are ranked in the top 25 even benefits a guy like, you know, Michael Penix. I'm stoked to watch him go 1v1 against Bo Nix and Caleb Williams. I'm so stoked to see that, especially against Caleb Williams. Um, USC on the road, especially if he can win and beat Caleb Williams and USC on the road. Um, Heisman talk needs to go up for Michael Penix. Love that top five as always, Cody. Great work. Love to see (laughs) the Heisman trophy pose. I love it. Uh, New segment. We're going to go winners and losers. And this is a segment that we like to talk about. Maybe our winners, a team that we see their their stock rising, whether they won or lost. And losers, a team that we saw either win or lose, but their stock go down. Um, winner, loser, winner for me. You mentioned them before. I'm going to mention them again. I think the Washington Huskies keep moving on up. I think people need to start looking at Washington and give them as much praise as they do USC, even Colorado. Michael Penix on what he's doing there, their wide receiver core. I mean, the absolute – I think it was Polk that had that catch or McMillan. I don't know who had that. The absolute layout catch that he had like like this and then gets hit and, you know, tucks the football down. Absolutely impressive from Washington. And I think this is a team that I'm excited to watch even next week and the week after and fully, uh, you know, get on the bandwagon. Because you've been, you've been talking about them all year, but I'm excited to actually full-on watch this team. Not shout-out to Peacock. Hate Peacock because I was not able to watch this game because it was on Peacock. <laughs> so it's the stupidest It's the stupidest thing ever. If we're going to go to streaming, let everyone go to streaming Agreed. at once. Not, not, not Peacock being its own thing while everything else is on TV. I didn't like that. But anyways. What was your winner of the weekend? I mean, my winner is it's the Pac-12, bro. The Pac-12, mm. there were a couple different opportunities for them to slip up, and they got the job done. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, the league is continuing to grow and get better and better as the year goes on while all these other conferences are kind of starting to slip. The Pac-12 has kind of risen. I'd say it's the deepest conference in the country. I don't think it's mm. comparable to anyone else right now. They have better quarterbacks. They have better receivers arguably Mm. and ultimately at the end of the day i think the best teams right now or the most impressive teams right now in the country are in the pac-12 now Mm. do i think that obviously we know that not all eight of those teams are going to go undefeated they can't but right now to have eight teams ranked in week three heading into week four that's pretty impressive now did sac state beat stanford yes did we say that stanford was going to go one and eleven yes so ultimately it is what it is um, shout out USC, Colorado, Oregon, Utah, UCLA, Washington State, Oregon State. Ultimately, at the end of the day, this this is the best iteration that we've seen in the Pac-12 in its history, and I don't think it's going to stop. I think that we're going to end up with a college football playoff contender and possibly, possibly a national champion. I'm not going to go back on my Michigan pick right now. But the way that these teams are playing, don't be surprised if a national semifinalist or two come mm. out of the Pac-12 this year. 
I just hope a Pac-12 team makes it, especially a year where the SEC seems to be struggling. The Big Ten, uh, it's it's very uh, top-heavy. The ACC is good, but I don't think more than one team is going to make it out of there. I just pray and I hope with the Pac-12 schedule of everyone playing each other, they're going to have to play each other once again in the Pac-12 championship. Hopefully one of those teams uh, can get out alive. My loser of the weekend, I hate to say it, but I'm going to go ASU. I'm going to go Arizona State. Um, I think what they're doing right now in their athletic program is absolutely terrible. Um, I think their AD, Ray Anderson, needs to get fired. Um, it just sucks. Kenny Dillingham is such a good coach, but he's never going to win if he's got an AD that's not willing to market, not willing to fund, not willing to start NIL stuff, and not willing to get the community involved. It's all Kenny Dillingham, no effort from Ray Anderson. Uh, you move to the Big 12, Big 12 is going to expect a lot out of you, and if you can't pull up to it, you never know what's going to happen to ASU in the future. With recruits, we said before, a guy like Jaden Rashada, yes, he's playing well. He didn't play last week. But that's a guy that I think if he plays decent moving forward, tell me tell me why a team like Alabama wouldn't call him up and say, hey, we can offer you more NAL money. You can come play here. A guy like Jaden Rashada on this Alabama team, it's kind of interesting. It makes it interesting. What would Alabama be with a guy like Jaden Rashada? It's just something interesting to talk about. And it sucks because I want ASU to be well for for the, for the city of Phoenix, but it's just a big city. It's tough for a college team, you know, not playing well for got, for people to buy in. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, we talked about it. Uh, like, <laughs> you said that Arizona State was going to win that game and it was going to be an upset. And I was wrong. Fresno I was State so went wrong. There and absolutely deboed that. Man, mm-hmm. that was, I mean, and, no, and not as a shot to you, just more, I'm more shocked. I thought it was going to be closer mm-hmm. than that. Fresno State went in there and absolutely smoked. Arizona State. Shout out Pat McCann again. I talked about him in the preview episode. Um, former college teammate, current wide receiver coach at Fresno State, offensive assistant. Good to see them um, go into Arizona State and get the big win. Um, it's funny that you say that right after we had just talked about how good the Pac-12 had been. And then we have Stanford <laughs> losing to uh, the outliers. The outliers, State yeah. Going there blowing out. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but ultimately I think uh, – my biggest loser for me, for me, the Big 12, your number two ranked team went to probably the eighth or ninth ranked SEC team and got beat. Mm. Kansas State, ranked 15th in the country. You know what I mean? On the road, you've lost TCU, ranked 17th. You lost to Colorado. Kansas State, ranked 15th. You just lost to Missouri. What's going on, Big 12? You guys have some talented teams. It can't, like, I know everyone's like, oh, it can't just be Texas and Oklahoma riding out off into the sunset with a Big 12 title. Well, guess what it's looking like right now, guys? Texas, Oklahoma, undefeated, (laughs) smoking everybody in front of them. Those two teams are on a collision course to play twice this year. You guys need to wake up and understand that this is a great opportunity. UCF, thank you for handling business. You guys are undefeated. Please, John Reese Plumley, get healthy so we can watch you play. Let's go. Figure it out, Big 12. Yeah, it's funny. The only two Big 12 teams that are ranked are Texas and Oklahoma that are leaving. So kind of a panic. And, you know, when you look at all those teams moving on to the Big 12, we got Utah. That's about it. So you got three, but maybe, technically one from a school that's coming into your conference the next year. So you're right, Cody. Big 12, definitely loser team. Loser conference. They better step it up there um, as a loser. Love to see that. Buy or sell, Cody. Buy or sell is kind of like winner or loser, but buy or sell, we like to more specify, you know, stuff, kind of outliers that we saw in the college world or even specific players or, you know, things going on and so on and so forth. My buy, 
Um, I'm going to go Pat McAfee as a college football analyst. I'm buying Pat McAfee. I think he's getting better. Um, you can tell he's prepping more, watching film. But not only that, he was the only one to pick Florida over Tennessee, BYU over Arkansas, and West Virginia over Pittsburgh. And he tweeted out, he said, I don't know ball, quote unquote, and he had those three. But not only that, I just love him on college game day. And for people that say they can't stand him, I mean, you can suck my you-know-what because he's an actual – he's got the Sorry energy on the it. show. Sorry about it, yeah. He's got the energy on the show and with Lee Corso possibly leaving, you know, potentially getting old and what the stroke had. Shout-out to Lee Corso, his 400th uh, headgear. I thought that was an amazing tribute, what they did, and the fact that he picked the Buffaloes was cool too. But, um, but yeah, I'm, 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 my buy is going to be Pat McAfee. I'm starting to buy into Pat McAfee. Miss David Pollock. But I like Pat McAfee on the college game day. Great choice, great choice, great choice. My buy, like, not not to beat a dead horse, but UW looks really freaking good right now. <laughs> I'm buying yeah. them. I did pick them to be in my final four. So it's not too much of a reach for me. But I was a little hesitant because of how good the Pac-12 was going to be. But right now, my goodness, what they've done in the first four weeks, Michael Penix, you look really, really good, my guy. Mm. Um, and those receivers look absolutely unstoppable. Um, right now, I'm buying UW as a viable, not only Pac-12 championship contender, but also a college football playoff contender and possible national championship contender if they're able to keep this play up. My sell. Let's get to our sell part of the segment. It's got to be Michigan's non-conference schedule. Thank God it's over. Thank God it's finally over, bro. This is so annoying. If you're going to play non-conference games, schedule like Sac State or schedule like, you know, South Alabama. Shout out South Alabama for beating Oklahoma State. But don't 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 schedule these sorry-ass Bowling Green, UNLV, uh, I forget, Ball State. Who else did they play? I have no idea, but... This non-conference schedule is getting annoying. Let's start talking about Michigan in, in, a, in a big scenario, a big win, or a, a Big Ten matchup because, man, this non-conference is getting annoying. Uh, my sell is Michigan's non-conference schedule. Thank God it's over, Cody. Thank God. <laughs> it's Jeez. over. It's over. It's over. Mm. My sell is Tennessee as a viable SEC East contender. Mm. I think that until Joe Milton, until Joe Milton can throw the ball, I said it multiple times on this show. You can go back and find the quotes. Can he throw the ball short and intermediate with consistency to allow those deep shots to open up? As far as now, it has not happened. And Tennessee has struggled and lost. So it is what it is. Joe Milton. It, it, it rides on you. You're the trigger man of Josh Heupel's offense. Without a quarterback, there is no blur offense for Tennessee. I agree with that. And it sucks because I want to see a competitive, you know, SEC West against Georgia. But I don't think we're going to get that with how Tennessee's playing. We'll see when they play at home against Georgia. Um, last but not least, as we put a wrap on week three and a great, obviously a great episode week three recap, uh, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got a lot of clips on here. Uh, you can watch the full episode that we're recording now, or you can listen to every single segment. We have the clips, each video individually, so that if you don't want to watch the whole episode, you can watch the individual clips on whichever team. We talk about all of them on the show, so be able to subscribe. Cody Oaks, for, not only, for don't do it for me, 
but do it for Cody Oaks. Don't do it for me. Do it for Cody Oaks. All right. So subscribe for Mr. Cody Oaks. That's all we ask. Game ball. You mentioned him earlier. My game ball goes to Garrett Schrader. Garrett Schrader, 3-0 for Syracuse. Big win against Purdue. We've we've talked about Hudson Carter and Purdue. New coach over there with Purdue. Um, I love what the Syracuse is doing right now. They're 3-0. They've got Army next week, home against Clemson, and then they go on the road against UNC and Florida State. Let's see if this team can be bowl eligible once again. Shout out to Syracuse. Shout out to Garrett Schrader. You have my game ball for week three. Nice. Great pick, Garrett Schrader. Love when a quarterback gets it. I'm a quarterback guy. I'm an offensive guy, but I'm going to the defensive side of the ball. Shiloh Ooh. Sanders, the other Sanders, Shador Sanders' brother, however you want to call him, the least favorite brother of the family, as described by Dion, <laughs> by himself, not me. Not me. Dion said it, not me. Um, no, Shiloh Sanders, pick six, big force fumble that led to another momentum change for Colorado. You get my game ball for week three. And with that, week three is officially over. Let's clap it up, Cody. Week three is over. We've survived week three. And my golly, week four, the slate we have for week four, we can finally start to talk about. Cody, little teaser, little teaser. But which game are you most excited to watch in week four? Well, I think you said it, man. They're starting to kind of look a little scary on offense. They were able to get off the snide a little bit. Um, mm. Ameka Buka, two touchdowns. Marvin Harrison, two touchdowns. Kyle McCord, over 300 and some odd yards through the air. Ohio State versus Notre Dame in South Bend. Oh, my goodness. This is shaping up to be such a good football game. I know you're excited about it. I'm excited about it. I know NFL scouts are going to be in the building watching not only the receivers from Ohio State, but also Sam Hartman, the trigger man from Notre Dame. Man, it's going to be great. College game day being there too. Notre Dame has not beaten Ohio State since 1939. Has not beaten Ohio State since 1939. They've got the best quarterback they've had in like 10 years with Sam Hartman, but a little teaser, Cody. I gotta, I gotta take a little teaser. A little matchup I'm excited to see about on the offensive line side. Joe Alt, the offensive tackle for Notre Dame, against JT Tumalau, on the defensive line inside. That's gonna be a hell of a matchup. Absolutely, JT Tumalau. Shout out Brandon Huffin for the pronunciation guide. Um, JT Tumalau versus Jackson Alt. Great matchup. JT, probably one of the freakiest athletes I've ever seen. Mm. Mr. Olt from Notre Dame, definitely going to be probably one of the top offensive linemen in the, on the big board this year. Um, man, that's one of many matchups that we can't wait to watch this next weekend. Also, obviously, we know Colorado, Oregon. That's another matchup. I mean, it's at the beginning of the year, did anybody think that this was going to be a top 20 matchup? Nobody no. did. Maybe Deion Sanders did. I don't know. The guy the guy is literally like everything he says is coming true right now. It's crazy. Mm. But, man, can't wait. What a good week coming up. 100%. Then Florida State-Clemson. We're going to break down all these games on our next episode. But Florida State right now, only a one-and-a-half point favorite at Clemson. Can Cade Klubnick and Garrett Riley bounce back? We're going to talk about all this and more. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to follow 
the Instagram at the point after underscore. We're going to break down these top five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games in full depth. Our key players to watch, some keys to victory for both sides, maybe even a couple breakdowns from the QB guru himself, Cody Oaks. But banger episode, Cody. Long day for you. I appreciate you grinding through this. This man's on no sleep for the people, for the love of college football, Mr. Cody Oaks. I'm Jackson Groff. We'll see you on Wednesday morning with the week four preview. Till next time, we'll see you guys soon. Peace.